morning, church family, and guests, friends. Man, I love you, and I love being able to stand with you, be church family with you. I love opening the scriptures. I love us trying to follow God together to see what it looked like. If He really got a hold of our entire life, if the Lord really had everything that we've got left, how could He transform your family and mine and the Pine Belt? If this church could really be on mission as God dreams us to be, wow, how will make a difference? Last Sunday on Easter, we read some challenging words from Jesus. We read where Jesus told us to deny ourselves, uh, to take up a cross, and to follow Him. We, we talked about how Christianity at its, really at its core, it's a decision that you make to give up control of your life and give it to Jesus, that for the rest of your life, you'll die to yourself and live to Christ. That's a hard thing to do, but I think it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. For us to sacrifice in the short term so that we could gain what we only see now in eyes of faith but gain for the long term. Well, basically this Sunday I want to read the next story in Matthew's Gospel. It's the last verse of chapter 16. It's all of chapter 17. And I've just got to tell you that I want to reissue a command, a call from God that we would die to ourselves, take up a cross, and follow Jesus. Kind of a tough thing to do. So let me go ahead and pray for us at the very beginning while you're thinking about that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for my sisters and brothers. Father, thank you for this church family, for our guests, for Lord, a room full of people that want to put you first, that want to walk in the power of your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would grant us freedom today. Father, I pray that you would convict us, that you would show us what's going on inside our minds, inside of our own hearts. Father, I pray that you'd give us the courage Lord, to give you control of our lives, to let go of it. Father, it's a monumental thing for us. It's hard for us. And I pray, God, that you would help us to lay down our pride and our selfishness and our ego. And God, in the power of your Spirit, you would set us free in Jesus to live every year that we have left for your glory, for your pleasure. Lord, I ask you to help us with that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, gang, it's kind of a tough sermon. I had my chimes people back up here. I get my, I'll get my pipe and I'll pitch in. You imagine how much it would change like a plumbing job if you knew how to do that? You know, if you could be like, guys over there, like, hand me the glue. You know? There's guys over here cussing and you're going. I don't know if you've ever done plumbing, it'll make you cuss, but. I'm going to need help. Tricky sermon, tricky sermon. I don't think I can pull this one off without an assistant. I need an assistant from the church. I'm looking for a volunteer from the church family that will come up and help me for just a few minutes. Um, preferably somebody shorter than me. Let's find a kid from the church. Can I get a volunteer from the church family? I want one of our Carterville kids to come join me on the platform. I know it's a little spooky. I see dads pointing and kids going, no, I need a Carterville kid. Lizzie, I saw your hand pretty quick. Will you come join me up here? All right, I know it's a big deal. We've got to let Lizzie out. So sorry. So sorry, Corleys. All right, Lizzie, nice to see you, dear friend. I'm going to grab a mic for my friend Lizzie. All right. I know I just told them your name. It's kind of a letdown, but would you tell everybody your name? My name's Lizzie. All right, Lizzie, do you have a last name? Yes. Do you have parents? Yes. Where are they? Summer. Excellent job. All right, so Lizzie, um, help us with this. How old are you? Ten. Ten years old. It's fantastic. Most of you have been ten before. Do you remember what that was like? 
Lizzie, what are a few things that you enjoy doing? What are some things that you like to do for fun? Playing with my brother and sister and doing ballet. That sounds great. Ballet? Fantastic. I, mean, I cannot do ballet. Big shot to the whole church. All right, Lizzie, I, I wanted to get you up here to help me. You've already helped me some. I'm going to get you to help me some more, but I have something I want to give you. Can I give you a gift? Because I love you. All right, I want to give you that. Now, some of my people are older and they don't see as well. Can you tell them what I've just given you? A $5 bill. Yes. Can you tell me what president is on that $5 bill? Hold on, time out. Can you tell me what president is on that $5 bill? Anybody? Are they right? Is it Lincoln? Say yes. All right, so Lizzie, in, in all honesty, I want you to have that $5 bill. That's a pretty good gift. When I was 10, five bucks goes a long way. So Lizzie, just we're going to be nosy. This is the last thing we're going to really ask you to help us with. But So Lizzie, what are you going to do with your $5 bill? Yours to keep. You can have it forever. What are you going to do with that $5 bill? What are some things you might buy with it? Toys or gifts. Do you get five bucks like every day? It's kind of a good thing, right? All right, cool. Well, Lizzie, that's your five bucks. I hope you find something good with it. I hope you enjoy it. hope you have a lot of fun with that five dollars. But you know what? I'll tell you what. Before you go sit down, let me make you an offer, okay? You can have, you can have that five dollars right now. Ten years old, five bucks, it's all yours. You can have that five bucks right now. Or if you want to wait later in the service, like before we're done today, at some point I'll try to find a spot to remember um, I'll give you something else. I'll give you something better than five bucks if you want. So you, your choice, no pressure, and nobody here cares what you choose. You can keep your five bucks. It's yours forever. Or I'm calling you later and give you something better. Your choice. You're going to keep it? All right, give me five. <laughs> All right. Okay, so I need to identify a second volunteer. Uh, <laughs> Uh-uh. I got it. My deed is done. Lizzie, you did a great job. Y'all give Lizzie a big hand for helping us. Every kid in the church is like, I'll do it. I'm gonna call, next week I'm going to be like, can I get some volunteers? And then you're going to be like reading the Bible. I'm going to get you, well, read Leviticus to the church. All right, so the last couple of weeks we've been sort of camped out on this moment where Jesus was alone with his disciples and along with his disciples, he asked him, who do people say that I am? It's a pretty, pretty tough thing. And well, they, they went through the list, Elijah, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, prophet. And then Peter said, no, you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, great job, that's right. So now the disciples, in all the time they've spent with Jesus, they finally learned who he is. Like It's just been revealed to them that he actually is the Messiah. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just a teacher. Like He is the Messiah from God. Well, lesson number one, after they understand he's Messiah, he launches into the second half of his ministry. Now he's got to show them what the Messiah is going to do. Because they kind of expect that the Messiah is going to be a hero, a warrior like King David, you know, a guy with a sword, a political giant. He's going to free him from the Romans. Well, he's got, to, he's got to reconstruct that. That's not who he wants to be. So he's got to teach him, that's not who I came to be. So lesson number one, he comes right out of the gate, and he looks at the twelve, and he says, all right, gang, I want you to know that I came, we're going to Jerusalem, I came to die. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over to evil men, they're going to kill me. And on the third day, I'll be raised again. 
So the disciples are like, that's not a good plan. That's not, that's not what the Messiah is supposed to do. And so Peter jumps up and says, no, not going to let it happen. And Jesus like scolds Peter to get behind me, Satan. You're thinking about the things of the world. I'm thinking about the things of God. Peter's scratching his head. And then Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, Gang, if anybody wants to follow me, and that's true for you too, if we want to follow Jesus, he says, you've got to deny yourself, you've got to take up your cross, you've got to follow me. I'm headed to a cross. And for you to follow me, really to follow me, you are going to have to wrestle with this. Are you going to be called to die on a cross? Will you do it? And then he tells them, listen, I'm going to give you a a hint. If you cling to your life in this world, if you won't give God control of your life in this world, you're going to lose it in the age to come. But if you lose your life for my sake, even if you die, if you die all at once as a martyr, or if you die to yourself a little bit daily, if you die to yourself, you'll find your life. Because in the age to come, you'll find more life than you ever imagined. So the disciples are done with their little retreat, and we get to the next story. Well, I want to preach that next story, and I hadn't planned to bring this into the sermon series, but it just dawned on me as I was reading that I need to show you this. So imagine Peter, we're going to look at this sermon through Peter's eyes. Imagine Peter, who was absolutely the hero when he said, you're the Messiah. He was absolutely a zero when Satan said, get behind, when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And now he's sitting here torn thinking, can I take up a cross and die to myself? Is it worth it to follow Jesus if it costs me everything? Like one of the principles of Christianity is that we have to make short-term sacrifices all of our lives for the hope of an eternal abundance of life. Like, we believe that our short-term sacrifices, I'm going to say no to the sinful lust of the flesh. I'm going to say no to pride, to hate, to racism, to arrogance, to greed. I'm going to say no to a thousand things that my flesh says, do it, do it. I'm going to say no to a thousand things that my pride says, you know what you deserve. I'm going to die to myself, give God control, and Christianity for me is going to be a series of dying to myself. I'm going to make, listen carefully, short-term, temporary, in this lifetime, sacrifices over and over again. Because I have faith that in the age to come, there is abundant life that we can't even dream of. So Peter's in the same spot. And he's thinking, gosh, is this going to be worth it? And let's read chapter 16, verse 28, and the next story, and I'll show you that it is worth it. Verse 28, Jesus said to the disciples while they were still on that retreat, He said, truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. All right, so the topic has been death. Jesus said, I'm going to die Peter says, slow down. Jesus looked up and laughed and said, in fact, you should all be willing to take up your cross. That means you all might die. And they did, eventually. He looks at them and says, it's worth it. And at the end of the, at the, end of the little retreat, his altar call is not that warm-hearted. But he looks at them and he says, listen, I'm going to tell you, some of you that are standing here, you're not going to taste death until you see the kingdom coming in its power. Now, here's the deal. All of the disciples died. They all died in the first century. And Jesus had not come back yet. Like he hasn't come back now. 
So all of these guys died before Christ came. So what did he mean when he said, some of you guys who are here today, you're not going to taste death until you see me come back in the kingdom. Until you see me coming in my kingdom, you're not going to taste death. Well, the key to that for me is that he said, some of you, and you're going to see it. I think that the very next story, the story about Jesus going up on a mountain and being changed into glory, the story of a transfiguration, I think this is what he meant. I want to just give you the, the, the whole story. Jesus is about to take three guys, Peter, James, and John. He's not going to take all 12, but he's going to take three. He's going to walk up on a high mountain alone with them. And when he gets there, all of a sudden, he's going to be changed, transformed, totally transformed. He stops looking like a human Jesus, and he starts looking like a fabulous Jesus. He is glorified. His face is shining. His clothes are shining. And the disciples say, oh my goodness, we knew you were Messiah, but we had no idea you were all of this. They look around and dead men start walking around. People like Moses and Elijah, guys that have been gone for a long time. We didn't know they were still alive, and here they are, walking, talking, high-fiving Jesus. And then suddenly, like the glory of God falls, and they're surrounded by this cloud, and the voice of God comes from all around them in this cloud, and they hear God speak to them, and they are scared out of their minds. And the cloud lifts, and Jesus taps them on the shoulder, and they look up, and everybody's gone except just Jesus standing there with them again. I think with a smirk on his face. And he says, I told you that there is life to come. Did you see those guys? How would it feel to have God all around you? So anyway, you willing to take up your cross now? You willing to lose your life in this little life so that you can have the life that never stops? Come on, let's go to Jerusalem. It's time to die. I want us to walk through the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. And as I call you to take up your cross and die to yourself, to make a thousand sacrifices for Jesus' sake, as I ask you to let go of your life in this age and have faith that you'll get it back tenfold in the age to come, I want us to walk through this passage. And as we walk through it, I want you to think of what's coming. What happens when we die? Last week we celebrated Easter. And in my mind as a pastor, I was thinking of all the people that I love that we buried last year. And here on the first Easter Sunday that I got to preach since we buried them at their graveside, I got to think with a smile on my face of their resurrection. Well, what happens for you when you die? What happens for me when we die? Is this all really going to be worth it? Why should you take up your cross? Why should you die to yourself down here? Let's read the story. Chapter 17. Here's the week later. The retreat is over. And the words of Jesus, take up your cross, are echoing in their mind. Some little hint that some of you won't taste death before you see me in the kingdom. Verse 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Can you imagine you're Peter, James, and John, you're walking up the mountain with Jesus? You feel pretty special that you got picked for this small little mission, a private group of three, and then your mind is blown. When you get up there for just a second, for just a minute, 
Jesus pulls back the curtain and lets them see what nobody's been able to see yet. That the baby that was born in that manger really was God. For just a minute, he pulls back the curtain and he says, that same guy that's telling you, take up your cross, die to yourself. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about. Look at this. Boom, they turn around, they look at Jesus, and his face is glowing. Like, I think about the picture of Jesus that opens the book of Revelation, where his feet are like glowing like bronze, like metal, and his eyes are shining like flames, and his face is white, and he is glowing. And John is seeing this vision, and he is floored, amazed. Can you imagine that moment when Peter, James, and John, fishermen, for the first time, they see their carpenter rabbi as he really is. Like for the first time, Jesus says, I'll tell you what, I know you see in eyes of flesh. I'll show you what you could see with eyes of faith. This is who I really am. And Jesus is glorified right in front of them. Like the King Jesus that you and I will see in the kingdom of heaven when we get there. They get a glimpse of him. And all of a sudden, he doesn't look like a stonemason and carpenter. For just a minute, he doesn't look like a rabbi Pharisee. For just a second, he looks like the God that he is. And they are floored. Who? Who is it that's asking you to die to yourself? It's not me. It's not your mama. Who's asking you to die to yourself? It's not a carpenter or a rabbi. It's not a Jewish teacher. It's not a priest. Who's asking you to die to yourself? The answer is the Lord of glory. Like the king of heaven and earth is calling you to die to yourself. Who is it that asks you to take up a cross to sacrifice a thousand small things for an age to come? It's Jesus on his throne at the right hand of God, holding all things together. So listen, I know how busy you are in a normal week of your life. And I know that you don't stop and you don't hear and you don't think. Well, here you are right now, face to face with this truth. Man, Christ loves you and has a plan for your life. He's looking at you. He's telling you, give your life to me. Take up your cross. Die to yourself. Follow me for the rest of your life. I'm calling you. King Jesus is calling you into the waters of baptism, into the waters of surrender. Jesus is the one that's asking you to take up your cross. And now I want you to sit and reflect. And like, Are you willing to say yes to him? You're not saying yes to me. Like I realize that your pride has fought you and talked you out of this a thousand times for 20 years. But today in this service, as you think about whether you're ready to let go and really give your life to Christ, to ask for salvation and give him all the years that you have left, I want you to know who it really is that's asking you to do that. It's not a rabbi. It's not a carpenter. It's the king of glory. Can you imagine being Peter? And just a few days ago, a week ago, it came off your mouth, I believe you're the Messiah. And you had a thousand images in your mind of what Messiah looked like. A politician, a sword, a warrior, a general. And all of a sudden, you turn around and you see your Jesus transformed from his gentle hands to his glory. And you said, mind blown, new picture of Messiah, more than I ever imagined. And then you imagine as they watch him die on a cross, like how mind-boggling it would be that this king of glory would allow anybody to crucify him. Servant leader indeed. So while they're sitting there processing this and they're looking at Jesus, they turn around and not only is Jesus glorified, but dead men come back. Watch this, verse, verse 3. 
Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Can you imagine? Like They're still processing Jesus just changed. Like this is, they're gone. And then they look up and say, who are those guys? But amazingly, they know who those guys are. Two men that have been dead long before their time. Moses had been dead for almost 1,500 years. And there's Elijah, the great prophet that called down fire on Mount Carmel. And there's Moses, ten plagues, the Red Sea, the Ten Commandments, wandering in the wilderness, the greatest prophet that ever lived. There's Moses and Elijah, and they're talking to the Lord of glory like they know him. And do you know why they're talking to him like they know him? Because they do. Because do you know what happened when they died? They continued to live. According to the Bible, when Moses was called and God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus interpreted that to say, listen, bro, when Abraham died, he kept living. When Isaac died, he kept living. When Jacob died, he kept living. Jesus said, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. There's a resurrection of the dead. In in other words, for Jesus, he knew that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were in the presence of God, alive and well. More alive than anybody could imagine. So when we stand at a funeral... And I stand over a sister or a brother that I know has faith in Christ, and I tell you, they're more alive than we are. It's true. And here you are with two men, Elijah and Moses, that as far as Peter knows, have been dead for a long time, but they are fully alive. And they're walking around and they're talking to Jesus, who they have known longer than Peter did. Is it worth it to lose your life in this age? Is there a life in the age to come? What happens when we die? Well, according to Jesus, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I know at least that Elijah, Moses, and a poor beggar named Lazarus are all alive and well. Like according to Jesus, you continue to live either in hell, separated from God forever, or in the presence of God, in His heaven, and one day on His new earth forever. Is there life in the age to come? According to this story, there's great life in the age to come. The next verse, I think, is misunderstood. Verse 4. So Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Oh, man, you know, we beat Peter up on this. We, at youth camp, we say, it's time to go home from camp. We're coming off the mountain. You can't live on the mountain forever. That's true. That's true. But do you see what's going on here? Like, this is beautiful. Peter didn't say, can I build a house and stay? Peter said, can I serve you? Can I make three houses so we can stay here? It's good to be here. Let me build you a tent. Let me build Moses one. Let me honor Elijah. I cannot believe that I'm here with y'all. I can't believe that we get to be with y'all. Can we build you a tent? Can we stay here? You you deserve a place. This is amazing. Guys, Jesus said, some of you will not taste death until you see me come in the kingdom in my power, right? Well, these three guys just saw it, and they want to stay in it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Listen, if we were there, we would want to stay. It's not wrong. It's right. It's right for Peter to want to stay. 
Like he just got a taste of why he's taking up a cross, why he's losing his life. Everything that he's giving up just became small because he realized that there is life well beyond this and it is more real than he ever imagined. And it's in the presence of a glorified Christ and resurrected righteous ones. And Peter said, can I please stay? Let's stay. I want to serve you guys. I want to build you a tent. This is good. It is good. It is good. And as Peter was crucified, according to church tradition, years later after this, as Peter was crucified upside down on the cross, as he dripped his last drops of blood, as he suffocated and died his sinner's death on a cross, he breathed his last in this age and was born into the age to come. And he got to stay. And he stayed with the glorified Christ and a resurrected Elijah and Moses. And he waits on the return of Jesus and the new earth and the resurrection of all the dead. It's good for Peter to say, can I stay here? It's really good. Hey, Wesley, you were the first hand that I saw that was raised. And Keith just confirmed that. Would you come join me on stage for a minute? I know that I let the cat out of the bag and I told everybody your name. But will you hold that nice and close to your chin? Will you tell everybody your name? My name is Wesley. That's excellent. What's your last name? You got a last name? Harold. All right. All right. Wesley Harold. How old are you, bro? I'm 12. You're 12. That's a good age. Wesley, you, you raised your hand when I said later I wanted, I wanted to give something better. Did you think I really meant that, that I would give you anything better? Lord, yes, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. <laughs> I'm sorry you didn't get the $5, Wesley. I know that you missed the opportunity to have something really nice at the beginning of the service. I want to give you something at the end of the service. Can I give you something? I have a gift for you. Not that. There it is. I got that for you. Can you tell me the name of the president right there? Can you read that? Grant. What's his name? Grant. And Grant is on which bill, Wesley? The $50 bill. Wesley, I want you to have, and you can't give it back to me, I want you to have that $50 bill so that everybody in this church will always remember this sermon illustration. The illustration doesn't work if you give it back. I want you to keep that. I want you to use that. Wesley, that $50 bill is your gift, all right? Thanks for coming up here with me. Can I get a volunteer <laughs> to keep the nursery? Right. Um, as Christians, we are asked throughout our entire life to make small sacrifices, to say no, to give up what is good. So that one day we can get something that is better. Jesus told the disciples that and they wanted to believe it, but it was not until Peter, James, and John walked on the top of that mountain that three men saw with real eyes that he was telling the absolute truth. 
While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When you hear God Almighty tell you, he knows what he's talking about. Listen to him. If he asks you to give up everything, give it up because he knows what he's talking about. I'm pleased with him. Listen to him. Do what he says. And Peter says, across it is. I'll take it up. I'll die to myself. I'll sacrifice it all right here because I know what's coming. Who's asking you to make the trade? God Almighty is asking you to trust Jesus and give up your life. Give up your will and follow His. Take everything. Make the great exchange. Give up your world and let Him have total control. Let Him give you back the you that He wants you to have. The disciples, when they heard this, they fell face down the ground, terrified. They just heard the voice of God. And Jesus came and He touched them. He said, get up, get up. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Everybody's gone. They just got their taste of the kingdom. Some of them, before they died, they got a little glimpse of what was coming. They saw the trailer for the movie. And for the rest of their lives, they could spread the word and they could live with wholehearted passion. See, with eyes of flesh, what you and I cling to with eyes of faith. That whatever you do on this life for the Lord is worth it. Whatever you give up, whatever you miss out on, it's worth it. Because of the abundant life that is coming in the age to come. Do you believe it? And this is where the story takes a turn. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anybody what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. It's all a story about dying. And the disciples asked him, well, why do some teachers of the law say that Elijah has to come first? Keep in mind, they just met Elijah like the real one. And Jesus replied, well, to be sure, Elijah comes and he'll restore all things. But I'm telling you, Elijah already came and they did not recognize him. But they've done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And when the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist, and I want you to hear the power of this, Jesus says, you know, the prophecies predicted Elijah would come back. They misunderstood that that meant one like Elijah, it was John. And do you know what happened to John the Baptist? He died. They killed him. And Jesus looks at them and says, And guys, the same thing's about to happen to me. And they says, Come on, let's walk off this mountain. We've got work to do. And as Jesus walks off that mountain, he walks off the foot of that mountain on his way to the foot of his cross. And he's calling Peter to go to the foot of his cross too. Am I going to die? King Jesus said, yes. They already killed John. I'm next on the list. And then you all. And I'm on my way for mine. Will you follow me if it costs you everything? Will you deny yourself a little at a time or all at once? Will you take up your cross, Peter, and follow me? I'm on my way to mine. Let's leave this mountain. And with crystal clarity, Peter knew that this was going to cost Jesus everything. And with crystal clarity, Peter knew 
that the call from Jesus to take up a cross and die to himself, it was not just inspirational words. But with crystal clarity, Peter knew that it was absolutely worth it. Is it worth it? Is a short-term sacrifice for long-term abundant life worth it? Can you imagine yourself with Elijah and with Moses, with the glorified Jesus? Can you imagine yourself one day with Peter and with John, with James, with the poor man Lazarus, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Can we add you to the list? Will you take up a cross and die to yourself? Christianity is not a religion where you add God to your life so he can make it a little better. Christianity is a religion where we take up our cross, die to ourselves, and let God have all of us for the rest of our days. And if it costs us everything, so be it. It's totally worth it. And three guys saw with their own eyes that there is life after this. And I'm calling you into it. You'll give up a little bit for the rest of your life as you die to yourself, die to your pride, die to your selfishness. But in the age to come, you'll gain back tenfold what you could ever imagine. You'll have life abundantly. At the end of this worship service, I want to call you to the great exchange. There is a version of you where you are in control for the rest of your life. I'm asking you to give that up. To take up your cross and die to yourself. And let God rule over your life until the day that you die. To make Christ not just Savior, but Lord. Will you take up your cross? Will you die to yourself and live for Christ Jesus? I want to pray for you this morning. Would you bow your heads around the sanctuary? As you prepare to respond to the worship that you've offered God this morning... I want to ask you, what does God want you to do? Is there anybody here that feels convicted by God's Spirit that you need to give your life to Christ today? You've never been baptized, you've never been saved, you've never, you've never given glory to Christ in that way, but you want to make that decision this morning. You can. Is there anybody today that's been living cultural Christianity and you're ready, really, to take up your cross I pray that you would respond in faith to your worship that you've offered and to the movement of God's Spirit. Let me pray that God would give you courage for that. Father, as each of us examine our hearts, I ask that you give us courage to obey you, to take the step you want us to take. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to surrender our will to yours, to repent of our sins and our selfishness, and to live the years that we have left for your glory. Thank you for showing Peter, James, John, what we're hoping for in faith. What we're living for. Christ, I ask that you give us courage to respond. As we walk towards the foot of our own cross. And as we take up our cross to follow you. We ask for your glory in Jesus' name.